This ministry has been made available by Kenneth Higgins Rama Bible Training Center, Nigeria. Confession is affirming what you believe. It is testifying to what you know. It is witnessing for the truths that you have embraced. And we said that our confession does three things for us. Number one, your confession locates you. Consciously or unconsciously, you confess what you believe. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Matthew 12, 34. And then we said number two, your confession fixes the landmarks of your life. We saw from Numbers 14. 28 where God said as truly as I live saith the Lord as they have spoken in my ears so will I do unto them amen so our confession fixes the landmarks of our lives we will either rise up or go down to the level of our words to the level of our words you see I began to say many years ago many years ago secondary school boy as a university undergraduate that i'll preach the gospel i'll preach that jesus saves i'll preach that jesus baptizes in the holy ghost i'll preach that jesus heals i'll preach that jesus is coming again amen i began to say that i'll preach in conventions i'll preach in uh churches i'll preach in citywide meetings i'll preach in statewide meetings I'll preach in nationwide meetings. I'll preach in worldwide meetings. So I was saying that way back then when the only invitations I got were invitations to preach in birthdays. Just share 10 minutes. But you see, I was saying it because I know he shall have whatsoever he saith. He may not have it yet, but he shall have whatsoever he saith. I'll preach to one. I'll preach to 10. I'll preach to 100. I'll preach to a thousand in a single gathering. I'll preach to ten thousand. I'll preach to a hundred thousand. I'll preach to a million. I'll preach to ten million in a single gathering. Now, am I saying that because I'm looking for fame? No. If that's my motive, it won't work. Because faith works by love. Amen. But not because I wanted anything, but other than that's God's plan for me. And I wanted his word to go out. Amen. I heal the sick, I raise the dead, I cleanse the lepers, I cast out devils. Freely I've received, freely I give. When all the healings I saw were headaches and stomach aches, but I was saying it. But you see, those things are happening today because he shall have whatsoever he saith. Our words fix the landmarks of our lives. You see, don't wait until you get old to start believing God for long life. You may not get old if that's what you want to do. Do you understand? Start believing. Start speaking now. Amen. I saw where he said in Psalm 91 verse 16, With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. I saw where he said in Psalm 90 verse 10, Number of their days, three score years, and or number of our days are three score years and ten. That's seventy. And if by reason of strength they be four score years, they're soon cut off. So I know the barest minimum God promised us is 70 or 80. So I began to say it, I'll live to be over 80 if Jesus tarries is coming. And I'm still saying it. Amen. And that's what's going to happen. Praise God. Because our words fix the landmarks of your life. Let me tell you something. You don't have to pay anybody to talk. 
is your mouth. Are you listening? Use your words. We've all heard it said, talk is cheap. Yeah. So words are available to everybody. It's easier said than done. True. Why? Because the power to get it done is in saying it. So God made that the easier part. Our words dominate us. Our words dominate us. You see, this entire universe was created with words. The entire universe. God spoke it into existence. That tells you how powerful words are. Hebrews 11.3 says, Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Praise God. I began to say it. I'll lay up gold as dust. And I will. Watch me do it. <laughs> See, my father makes planets. The cattle on a thousand hills belong to him. The gold and the silver belong to him. He's El Shaddai. He's not El Chipo. Are you listening? Yeah. I began to say because I could see it in the word of God. And he shall have whatsoever he saith. All I've got to do is to believe that what I say shall come to pass. Now, is it saying alone that gets it done? No. You also have to believe that what you say will come to pass. Now, you can't believe that what you say will come to pass if you tell lies. Yeah. Some people have a hard time. You know, I've had people say, yes, I've been confessing, confessing, confessing. It's not happening. Sometimes the reason is some of them don't believe in their words. If you tell lies, your faith won't amount to much. I'm telling you now. If you say things you don't mean, you mean things you don't say. Look, that's diacrino. It's called doubt. Once there is dire, once it becomes double, once there's a separation between your heart and your words, you're going to have a hard time getting what you say to come to pass. For instance, let's say it's Sunday morning, getting ready for church. Your wife comes. Is this dress looking fine? You know it's not looking fine. But you're already running late. You can't afford for her to go and change it. Because it takes like another 30 minutes for her to change it. And you don't have that. Oh, you say, honey, it's gorgeous. And you know it's not. What did you just do? You lied. James 1.26. He that doesn't bridle his tongue deceives his heart. Deceives his heart. Somebody comes to see you. You're tired. You don't want to see anybody. You don't say, ah, oh, my guy, how you day? So nice to see you. Really? You wish you didn't come. That's a lie. Your heart knows you lied. The angels know you lied. They know you meant something else in your heart. But here you are, you're saying something else with your mouth. So the next time you're confessing, my needs are met. They're wondering, you know, you know this man, when he says my needs are met, maybe it means my needs are not met. What should we do now? We don't know. He's giving us conflicting signals. He says something, he asks something else. He has something else in his heart, he says something else with his mouth. We don't even know. Maybe this is one of those times he's joking. You're building confusion into your spirit. Now, am I saying somebody comes to you and say, look, I'm not glad to see you. Now, I'm not saying be nasty, but there's a way you can say something and still not lie. You can speak the truth in love. You can say, wow, thank you for coming to see me. Actually, I was sleeping. I needed to take some rest. But you're here. Let's talk. Let's talk. We can at least talk sometime. You know, I'll, I'll go back to sleep, you know, later. Once we're done, the guy, if he has sense, <laughs> you have told him, I was sleeping. I want to go back and sleep. Make it sharp, 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 sharp. That's what you have said, right? Yeah. 
And if he doesn't have too much sense, you know, after some time, you just call your wife. Hey, have you helped me lay that bed? You know, hey, help me lay that bed. I'm coming to sleep now. You know, you can speak the truth in love. That's what I'm saying. Amen. You can speak the truth. You don't have to lie. You can speak the truth in love. We have to pay attention to what we say. You know, your child says, I want this, daddy, I want this. You know you won't give it to the child. And I'll say, okay, I'll get it for you tomorrow when I go out. And that's just so that this child should let me rest. Or you know you won't do it. What did he just do? You lied. Those kind of things destroy the integrity of our faith. They are destroying, we are putting a bigger disconnect between our words and our heart. Yes, I know we are human, right? You could say, well, I'll see you tomorrow. And something came up which you didn't plan. But you intended to see them tomorrow. Yeah, we can pardon you for that. But, ah, I will come. I'll see you. And you weren't planning on coming. You lied. Your heart knows you lied. Those things, you know, that's why some people can confess until they are blue in the face. It's, it doesn't carry much weight because they don't believe in what they say. Jesus did not say he shall have whatever he saith when he is confessing. You know, you know, say, let's confess. I'm confessing the word of God. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above only. No, he just said he shall have whatever he saith. So if you don't train yourself to believe in your words, you're going to have a hard time getting your faith to work. One of the characteristics of a spiritual pilgrim is he that sweareth to his own heart and changeth not. Be a man of your word. If your word is no good, your faith won't be any good. Because faith is released primarily with words. Does that make sense? Amen. So our confession locates us. Our confession fixes the landmarks of our lives. And number three, our confession affects our spirits. Our confession affects our spirits. What do I mean by that? You see, even if you don't believe something, even if you don't believe it, if you will say it long enough, it will register on your spirit and it will dominate your life. That's why confession is also used to build faith. You see, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Kenneth Hagin has a devotional. He has two. Well, Kenneth Hagin Ministries actually has four devotionals. There's faithful devotions. There's healthful devotions. There's from a pastor's heart by Pastor Hagin. Then there is um, seed thoughts by Lynette Hagin. So they have four. Now, Actually, there's another one. There used to be this desktop faith food calendar, which is out of production. Now, now in that faith food, the, the preface of it, whether it's the slimline you have or it's the hardcover, the one, what's in the slimline is a little different. The slimline were those small ones, you know, the four, autumn, winter, spring, and um, summer, those four. You know, but they now put the hard, uh, all of them together in one, the, the hardcover. The first, uh, the preface of it says something like, uh, feed your faith daily. It's of utmost importance to your work with the Lord. I put these bite-sized pieces of faith food together to help you make sure your faith is fed daily. F.F. Bosworth says, most Christians feed their bodies three hot meals a day. Their spirits one cold snack a week. And then they wonder why they are so weak in faith. Study and see the confessions found at the bottom of this page. Faithfully repeat them. They are based on God's word. When you hear yourself make these confessions, they will register on your spirit. And when God's word gets down into your spirit, it will empower your life. 
you know, in the other one, paragraph two is paragraph one. I know because I check. I've read them. Mm -hmm. I could, <laughs> you see, I've used faithful devotions every day since like 91. So there's some days if you tell me what is on such and such a day, I could tell you is this. This is the topic from this day to this day, from this day to this. You know, I've stayed with it for that long. Same thing, year in, year out. You see, I'm not one of those people that... I learned something about consistency. Even if you don't... If you're not so smart, but if you can just do the same thing consistently, just put in the same steady effort consistently. Amen. I can do the same thing the same way every day for a hundred years. I won't get tired. I won't get tired. I train myself to be that way. The truth is, we're all that way. It's just that when it comes to spiritual things, we now want to start acting, acting up. You know, anybody here, you brush your teeth this morning. You know, I've heard people say, I, I can't, no, I don't like routine. I don't like routine. I laugh because they brush their teeth that morning. They brushed it the morning before. They brushed it before the morning, before that morning. They've been brushing it every day. They don't say, all these brushing teeth. I'm even tired. I can't be doing routine. And then they stop brushing. Okay. I wore clothes yesterday. Since I've been born, I've been wearing clothes. Must somebody wear clothes every day? You must wear clothes every day. Oh. <laughs> Otherwise, we will send for your mother. <laughs> Isn't it? Yeah. But why is it we now say feed on God's word every day? No. It's religion. It's religion. As you go, it's quiet time. No, it's religion. It's religion. It wasn't religion when you were having your bath. And you had your bath the day before. And you had your bath the week before. And you've been having your bath. Every day now, you've been having your bath. Your skin hasn't, uh, hasn't peeled off. Hasn't wore out. You know. But yet, you keep doing it. Why is it that when God now tells us to be consistent about spiritual things, we now start throwing feet? No, we can be consistent. It's just something about being consistent. Steady effort. Steady effort. Steady effort. Now, the thing about it is this. Confession, our confession affects our spirits. So you can actually even school yourself into faith. For instance, you start saying, I am rich. And you don't believe it. If you keep saying it, I am rich, eventually you will start believing it. And it will come to pass. Because our words register on our spirit. Why do I say that? Romans 10, 17. So then, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When you say it, you also hear it. In fact, you hear it when you say it. Faster than when anybody else says it. Because it registers on you. Have you ever listened to yourself on tape before? Or on CD? Or watch yourself? The first time you did, did it sound like you? You felt like, no, this is not how I sound. Because you sound differently to yourself. You are hearing that with your external ears. You usually hear yourself with your inner ears. It gets to you faster when you say it. It does. Now, Proverbs 18.20. Proverbs 18.20. It says, a man's belly shall be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth. It says, with the increase of his lips shall he be filled. Yes, that's talking about this tummy, but it's also talking about our spirit because your belly is also your spirit. Your spirit is called your belly. Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But these speak here of the spirit which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. 
Now, you, we know that the part of you that speaks in tongues is your spirit. 1 Corinthians 14, 14. If I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. The Amplified Bible says, my spirit by the Holy Spirit within me prays. So my belly is my spirit. So he's saying that my spirit will be satisfied with my words. So this mouth is not just for feeding this tummy. It's also for feeding your spirit. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. You see, your mouth is involved in meditation. Yeah. The word meditate carries with it the thought of to actively read, to think upon, to ponder over, to mutter, say to oneself. Are you listening? So you use your words also to feed your spirit. To feed your spirit. How did you get saved? You confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord, right? And then Romans 10.10 says, With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. So those words you spoke got you saved, isn't it? Salvation is the rebirth of the human spirit. So that meant that your words caused your spirit to change. Your words affect your spirit. Your words affect your spirit. If you talk about the lack of finances, it will stop the money from coming in. If you talk sickness, it will develop sickness in your system. Are you listening? Your words affect your spirit. Affect your spirit. Amen. Now, we looked at what confession is. We looked at what confession does. What are the kinds of confession? What are the kinds of confession? See, in the Bible, we see four kinds of confession. Four different kinds of confession. The first kind of confession is the confession of the sins of the Jews under the first covenant. Under the old covenant. Confession of sins of the Jews under the old covenant. Confession of sins of the Jews under the old covenant. Confession of sins of the Jews under the old covenant. Matthew 3, 5 and 6 says they came to him to be baptized of him, talking about John the Baptist in Jordan, confessing their sins. Are you listening? Now, was that the new birth? Matthew chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Was that the new birth? That was not the new birth. That was just confession of sins under the old covenant. Was there confession of sins in the old covenant? There was. Read Ezra, Nehemiah. Read Daniel, chapters 9 and 10. You see how they confessed their sins. You read where God said, you know, that whoso confesseth, whoso covereth his sin shall not prosper. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Proverbs 28, 13. So confession of sins was under the old covenant. It was there. It was in their covenant. And that's the first kind of confession we see in the Bible. Confession of sins of the Jews under the old covenant. The second kind of confession. Now, that first kind was not the new birth. As those guys confessed their sins, he did get them saved. As far as we are concerned, as new covenant believers, no, that didn't get them born again. Was it right they confessed their sins? Yes, it was. 
Amen. Remember when um, Solomon was dedicating the temple and he said, well, when we have sinned, if we look towards this temple and confess it, you forgive us. So yes, they were to confess their sins and that was okay and that was a part of that covenant. Second kind of confession, which is a confession that gets the sinner saved, confession of sins, uh, not confession of sins, confession of the lordship of Jesus. Confession of the Lordship of Jesus. The confession of the sinner today. The second kind of confession. Confession of the sinner today. The confession the sinner needs to get saved. Now, let me shock you. God never told a sinner to confess his sins. Never. If it's by confessing your sins you get saved, nobody is saved in this room. Because you haven't finished confessing your sins. Could you remember all of them? And when you were four, remember that meat you kept? Remember when you were five? Remember that five cobble you kept back? Remember when you were six? Remember that time you hit your brother? You couldn't remember all of them. Not to talk about every month and then every day of each month and then every year. You couldn't remember all of them. And in fact, God did not even ask you to. How does the sinner get saved? What's the sinner to confess to get him saved? Romans 10, 9 and 10. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus or that Jesus is Lord and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Say so with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. So the confession that gets the sinner saved is the confession of the Lordship of Jesus. What I tell people is this, preach the gospel. Just preach the gospel. Many times we try to just rush people into a sinner's prayer when they really, faith hasn't even come to their heart. They're just saying words that don't mean anything to them. No. Show them the gospel. Preach the gospel to them. Let them know about Jesus and his finished work of redemption. Let them know what this is all about. Amen. You see, sometimes I hear Christians say things like, well, I sinned and then the Holy Spirit convicted me. Have you heard it before? Have you said it before? Yeah, you can lift up your hand if you've said it before. It won't be taken against you. It's okay. You know, let me tell you, it wasn't true. The Holy Spirit has never convicted you as a Christian. He doesn't. He convicts only one set of people, sinners. And he convicts them of only one sin, not accepting Jesus. In John 16, now what convicts you if you sin as a Christian? Your own conscience. And rightly so. Rightly so. If you can sin and your conscience not hurt you over it, you're in trouble. And the trouble is big. And you need help big time. You know, God has put a monitor inside every believer, our conscience, the voice of our spirits that warns us when we do wrong. Are you listening? In John chapter 16, from verse 7, the Bible says, Nevertheless, Jesus speaking, I tell you the truth, it's expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come. But after I've departed, I will send him unto you. He said, And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin. Notice, he will reprove the world, the world, the world, the world, the world, not the church, the world. Of what? Of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Said of sin, why? Because they believe not on me. The Holy Spirit convicts the sinner of only one sin, and that's the sin of not accepting Jesus. I'll make a statement, and I need to make it because it's the truth. It may be a bit different from what you have believed, but it's okay. Just go check the scriptures about it later. Amen. Father, 
and you'll see that it's the truth. You see, people don't go to hell because they smoke, because they drink, because they womanize, because they did this, they did that, they committed adultery, they were armed robbers. Those things have never taken anybody to hell. Never. 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 There's only one sin that takes a man to hell, and that's the sin of not accepting Jesus. You know, many people eh, will get to hell and will find out that they are there for the wrong reason. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says in the Amplified Bible, Perfect Classic, that God was personally present in Christ, reconciling and restoring the world into favor with himself, not counting up or holding against men their trespasses, but canceling them and committing to us the message of reconciliation, of the restoration to favor. God is not holding the sinner's sins against him. He has canceled them. You say, well, if he has canceled them, then the sinner will go to heaven automatically. No. He has to accept the reconciliation that God has offered. He has to receive Jesus. Mark 16, 15 and 16. And he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. 16 says, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And he that believeth not shall be damned. There's something called the gospel of inclusion. Well, God is all-powerful. He can do anything. And then they say, well, he's not willing that any should perish. And because uh, the salvation of everybody is his will, and he can do anything he wants, then he has actually done it. That's a lie. He's also a loving God, and he's, he has made man as a free moral agent. A man has to accept Jesus into his heart. Now, why do I say... When a believer sins, the Holy Spirit does not convict him. I'll tell you why. Romans 8, 33 and 34. The Bible says, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It says, it's God who justifies. It says, who is he that condemns? It says, it's Christ that died. Who also is raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of the Father. And ever lives to make intercession for us. You see, if God will not condemn you, and Jesus will not condemn you, and Jesus said about the Holy Spirit that he won't speak of himself. Whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. He will take of mine and show it unto you. All that the Father has are mine. Then the Holy Spirit too will not condemn you. If you sin as a Christian, listen, the Holy Spirit will comfort you. Yes. He will encourage you to get back in fellowship with God. Yes, he will tell you, just like you already know, that wasn't right. What you did wasn't right. You are down, but you don't have to be out for the count. You can get back in fellowship with God. He's there to encourage you to do what is right. Are you listening? But he's not the accuser of the brethren. That's the devil's ministry. But it's sad that many Christians, they join the devil in his ministry. Yeah, unknowingly. Some knowingly too. Amen. So, your own conscience is what hurts you, and rightly so. We'll get to that when we talk about hindrances to faith. The Holy Spirit convicts only one set of people. Who? Sinners. What sin does he convict them of? The sin of not accepting Jesus. You say, okay, are you saying that? Are you saying that it's just, just all about accepting Jesus? And if I accept Jesus, then I can continue living like I was living before. Listen. If it was Jesus that you accepted, you can't continue living like you were living before. If you can keep living like you were living before, you never met Jesus. Mm, you never met Jesus. You may have gone to an altar, but it wasn't Jesus you met there. If you receive Jesus, he will change your nature. Yes, I know we have the flesh to contend with. And the flesh will always want to do wrong until we have glorified bodies. 
I'm not talking about the flesh. I'm talking about you. You are a spirit. At the new birth, your spirit was reborn. So I say this all the time, and some people don't understand it, but it won't stop me from saying it anyway. I say that I'm sinning all I want to sin. I'm lying all I want to lie. I'm cursing all I want to curse. Smoking all I want to smoke. But listen, the truth is this. I'm a new creature. I don't want to anymore. The want to for sin is gone. I don't want to. I don't want to. I'm a new man. Same with you. The want to for sin is gone. Yes, I still have a flesh. I do. But I'm not my flesh. My flesh is just the house I live in. The man on the inside has been reborn. I have the life of God. I have the nature of God. See, that life changes conduct. It corrects habits. It forms new ones. Criminals become law-abiding citizens. Prostitutes become moral. Thieves become honest. Drunkards become sober. No case is incurable. Many Christians have the life of God, but they don't know what they have. They thought what they got was forgiveness of sins only. They thought what they got was conversion. No! You have God's life in you. You are not who you used to be. You're a brand new miracle creation. You have life as God has it. The very substance of God's being is in our spirit. That's the truth. We're new creatures. Brand new miracle creations that came fresh out of the womb of deity. We are of God. We hail from Zion. We are born out of God. Born of him. The very life and nature of God is in our spirit. Amen. Now, let me say something else. You know, God never told the sinner to give up his sins. Never. 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 I know some of these things, like I said, it may challenge some of the things many of us have preached. All that, you see, the new birth is not giving up. God never told you to give up anything. He told you to take on something. Yeah. You see, just come as you are. Many times, we want the sinner to change and then receive Jesus. If he could change, he won't need Jesus. No, he is to receive Jesus. Then Jesus will change him. Come as you are. You see, a dog will bark. Why? He's a dog. He's his nature to bark. Is if I start barking now, you think maybe is there rabies somewhere? Because it's not in the nature of a man to bark. Do you get my point? So just come the way you are and receive Jesus. You know, people say this. They talk about giving their lives to Christ. Have you heard that before? Yeah. I don't like to put it like that. Because really, you don't find that expression in the epistles. No. It's not accurate to put it that way. You did not give your life to Christ. It's Christ that gave his life to you. You received the life of Christ. We were dead. We had no life. We were paupers. We were bankrupt. We had nothing to give. God is the giver. We are the receivers. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, have everlasting life. John 3.16. John 1.12. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name. You see, I, I, I've said things like this and people thought, no, that's just being pedantic. That's just being technical. It's not just being technical. You know why? You see, if your perspective and your perception of Christianity, ab initio, was, okay, today now, I want to give my life to Christ. I will stop drinking. I will stop smoking. I will stop doing this. Look, you can stop doing all those things and you are still a sinner on the way to hell. 
It's not, you see here, we have watered down the gospel until we have removed the supernatural element in it. We've made the gospel look like New Year resolution, turning a new leaf. No! Something comes into your spirit that changes you. You have made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are tied up to deity. Something supernatural happens. You see, my daddy, hmm, he used to smoke. He smoked for 11 years. He was a chain smoker. He was like a, a living human chimney. You know, those ones that used to use one to light one. You understand? As this one is finishing, you're lighting it with another one. And then that one's finished, you're lighting it with another one. It was a living chimney. He used to smoke. Smoke big time. The year I was born, we had a neighbor. And um, they were gathered outside. December 31st, that year. And um, another, a third friend of theirs came. And then they got to talking. And my mother was there. And one of them said, this smoking, when will we stop it? You know, it's not good. It will give us cancer. And the other neighbor, much younger than my dad, said, well, he, the, once he gets married, he will stop smoking. And that was, the, that was the insult. My father felt like, eh. So me, I'm an irresponsible desperado. You know, it's good for things to be able to pain you. To motivate you to take positive action. He felt like, ah. So me, I'm irresponsible. I'm married. Have first child. Have second child. Have third child. And I'm still smoking. Hey! What kind of insult is this one? And then, eh, he even had the guts to say it in the presence of my wife. Ah! That just ended insult upon injury. He didn't look troubled. He just kept quiet. You wouldn't know something happened. But something happened inside him. The thing that happened, happened. And it happened big time. He said, this cigarette, that is what has rubbished me. Rubbished me like this. That me, I'm now irresponsible. He said, it's the year once he marries, he will stop. And here I am, I'm married though. My first child was born 19 so and so. The second one, 19 so and so. The third one, aye. And here I am, I'm still smoking this smoking. He said, I'm not smoking again. I'm not smoking again. He called my mom. You know, it was just a split-second decision. He called my mom after they all left, you know, before the end of the year. It was the evening of December 31 that year. He gave her, he said, take this hash tray, keep it for me. Take this packet of cigarette, the last packet he was smoking with the sticks still left inside, keep it for me. This lighter, keep it for me. Hash tray, everything, keep them for me. I will ask you about all of these things later. That's what he said. He said, he prayed. Are you listening? This is a sinner. He said, oh God, this cigarette is not good for me. I know it's not good for me. I know it's just going to give me cancer if I continue. And I know that I am addicted and I need help. Look at how that guy insulted me over this thing. Hmm? I felt less than a man because of this thing. He said, God, help me. Take every love of it from me. I don't want to smoke again. And that was it. Got to walk. Next week. Ah, Chris! I feel you use your lighter. Uh, Chris has left you guys. Oh. <laughs> I'm not smoking anymore like you. <laughs> Everybody said, greatest joke of the year. Chris has stopped smoking. He said, we'll see how long you will last. Well, one day, two days, one week, two weeks, three weeks, one month, two months, three months. That's how Chris stopped smoking. Now, was that the new bath? It wasn't the new bath. He was a smoking sinner that became a non-smoking sinner. in the new birth. 
anybody can give up anything. He just gave up smoking. That's all. He gave up something. That wasn't the new birth. The new birth is you taking on something. You take on God's life. You take on God's nature. And then that nature changes you. Now, there's some people who are born again that still have some trouble with some of these things they used to do before they got saved. Yes. How do they overcome them? By walking in the spirit. By walking in the light of eternal life. And what we are saying, for instance, about confession, I will get to something that will help people like that. Are you listening? So that didn't get him saved. My daddy used to drink. Drank for over 20 years. I remember one day, I remember the day very well, at a sitting, a carton, 12 bottles. My father, they laid down their life for, for, for his tummy. 12 bottles, one sitting, pew, finished them. There was time my dad used to do Gulda. There was time he did Trophy. There was time he did Club. There was time he didn't like Star so much. He used to give him headache. Stout, he didn't like Stout so much, you know. Harp, Harp was his thing, you know. So he used to drink. He changed brands at different times are you listening yeah but then one time he got sick and then he said if i go to the hospital now here was somebody in college of medicine lecturer you know he said i teach these people this thing i know what this thing is doing to my liver i can explain the pathway i can tell you the enzyme i can tell you what is happening he said have i am i not of all men most miserable and here i am i'm killing myself and i know this thing is not good for me he was sick. So he said, I'm not drinking again. And he stopped drinking. Never, never touched the green bottle again till he died. I know that. I remember life. I know when he stopped. I was in primary school when he stopped. And he stopped for good. Yeah. He, used to, he took different brands at different times. Club, Trophy, Harp. Different brands at different times. You know, he stopped. Never took alcohol again. Now, was that the new birth? No. He was a drinking sinner that became a sober sinner. But he was still a sinner. That's not the new birth. Are you listening? The new birth is not giving up something. The new birth is taking on something. And then when you take on that something, that something now changes you. Somebody said, are you saying that hey, I, 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 can just, I can continue sinning? It's just receiving Jesus. See, one lady there was one meeting D.L. Moody had. He preached against worldly dancing. Then there was one girl there that came to meet him after. said, I want to get saved, but I can't give up worldly dancing. Moody said, who told you to give up anything? No, just go to the prayer room. Inquiry room, they called it. And receive Jesus into your heart. She did. She meant it. She received Jesus as our Lord and Savior. A few days after, she saw Moody on the road. She said, oh, brother Moody, now I know what you are talking about. You know I don't want to dance worldly dance anymore. Something happened on the inside of me that changed me. The things I loved, now I hate. The things I hated, now I love. See, that's the new birth. You see, and it's good people are taught the truth. Ab initio. But instead, we tell people, come and get converted. Come and convert. Come and convert. We tell people, come so that your sins will be forgiven. There's more to the new birth than forgiveness of sins. There's more to the new birth than a conversion. It's actually receiving the life and the nature of God into our spirit. And when we do, it changes us. So the confession the sinner makes to get saved is the confession of the Lordship of Jesus. Now, notice, he doesn't just say something. He also believes in his heart that God raised him from the dead. 
Now, why is it that the Bible says, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness? Why will believing in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead make me righteous? This is why. Romans 4.25 says he was delivered up for our offenses and he was raised for our justification. The marginal rendering says he was delivered up on account of our offenses and he was raised up when we were declared righteous. You see, eh? we were guilty. Guilty as charged. If you read in Romans 3, you see about 14 charges in the grand indictment against mankind from about verse 5 to 19. 14 grand charges. There's none righteous, none that seeketh after God. They all turned after their own way. The poison of us is under their tongue. 14 charges in the grand indictment against humanity who are guilty as charged. So Jesus assumed the liabilities of Adam's transgression. He took upon him our sin nature as well as the sins we committed. He died in our stead. And when he died, he went to the place where people who have sin on them go to. He went to hell. Not Abraham's bosom. Hell, hell. The prison house of suffering. The region of the damned. And remember, he is deity where humanity. One hour of deity suffering is worth more than an eternity of humanity suffering. In those three days and nights, he paid the price who were to pay and he paid it in full. God looked at the offense Adam committed. And he looked at the punishment Jesus had suffered. And he weighed it until when that weight, when that scale balanced. And he said, yes, it's enough. He has satisfied the claims of justice. He has met the demands of the law. He has paid the price and paid it in full. What he has suffered now is it far outweighs the crime that mankind committed. So he was declared righteous. And remember, we were in him when he did that. So we were declared righteous. And then the life of God was imparted into his spirit. He was the first one to be born again. And he was raised up from the dead. So when he was raised up, that's proof that we have been made righteous. Are you listening? We stand in God's presence without a consciousness of sin, of guilt, or inferiority. As though sin never existed. As though Adam never messed up. As though we have never done wrong. <laughs> we are, are accepted in the beloved. You see, you couldn't be any closer to Jesus. Than you are now. And you couldn't be any closer to God than you are now, even if you are Jesus. That's what I'm talking about. In the legal sense, you are just as much a son of God as Jesus is. The same love. Now, you are not God the Son. No, you are not. You are not the head of the church. No, you are not. You are not the one we worship. No, you are not. You are not the one who died for us. No, you are not. Amen. But I'm in union with the one who is. He may be the bigger part of that union, but I'm in union with him. We are one with him. Are you listening? So the second confession, the confession of the lordship of Jesus. And that's what gets the sinner saved. Brother Higgin went to this church. There was this man who had been trying to get saved for six months. He will repent, do everything. After he finishes doing a crying, and he meant it, he will still go back to drink. He will still go back to his old lifestyle. There was no change that took place in him. Well, they told Brother Hagin about the man when he came to that church. He said, I know how to help him. So one meeting they were having, it was a testimony meeting. So he told different people, give their testimony. Then he told that man, he said, I want you to testify that you're born again. The man said, but I'm not. He said, that's what I've been trying to do all this while. I've done everything, repented. He said, yes, I know. That's what you need to do. The man said, no. All of a sudden, he said he shocked himself. 
He pointed at the man. He said, I command you in the name of Jesus and stand up and testify that you're saved. The man was startled. Then the man got up and said, well, I believe in my heart that Jesus is the son of God. I believe he died for my sins according to the scriptures. I believe he was raised from the dead. And so I'm made righteous. I confess that he's my Lord. I confess that I'm saved. I confess that I'm a child of God. Then he sat down immediately. And then to divert attention from him, he pointed at somebody else. The other person testified. He said he looked in that man's direction and something happened. His face lit up like a neon sign. You could see something changed. Something happened to him. Then he pointed back at him and said, you want to say something? Whoa! He said the first time he was trying to prod him to get him to say. He said this time he shot up to his feet. He said, whoa, glory to God, I'm saved. He said, when I said that, when I said what I said a while back, it was like a 10-ton a load lifted off my chest. Now I have peace with God. You see, he could never be saved until he confessed he was. Confession is made unto salvation. You have to confess that Jesus is your Lord to get saved. Are you listening? You have to. That's how to get saved. So the second kind of confession, the confession of the sinner today, which is the confession of the Lordship of Jesus. Well, the third kind of confession is the confession of sins by the believer. The confession of sins by the believer. See, this one has been pushed to this extreme. It has been pushed to that extreme. Amen. But what's the middle of the road, balanced position of the word of God about it? First John 1 John 1.9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, who is that written to? That's written to believers. You're born again. You have a relationship with God now, a right relationship. He is our father. We are his sons, right? You see, fellowship, uh, relationship without fellowship is an insipid thing. It's dead. It's cold. It's lifeless. It's like marriage without love. It's dead. The very heart reason for redemption was fellowship. God craved a family. He wanted people he could fellowship with on terms of equality. He wanted sons and daughters. Fellowship is the mother of faith. It's the parent of joy. It's the source of victory. If a believer sins, does he stop being God's child? No, he's still a child of God. Still a child of God. Still a child of God. He doesn't end the relationship. But what happens? He broke fellowship. Does that make sense? Do you lose, is that the first or the second? I think the second. Do you lose your righteousness if you sin as a Christian? You don't. You don't, but you lose something. You lose your sense of righteousness, and rightly so. And rightly so. You lose your consciousness of your righteousness. You, you are out of fellowship with God. He's still your father, but you are out of fellowship. Now, that is not a good place to stay. Why? Fellowship is the mother of faith. It is the parent of joy, and it is the source of victory. Faith has no song when fellowship is broken. Faith has no song when fellowship is broken. See, when fellowship is at flood tide, when fellowship is vibrant and full, then faith becomes masterful. Faith becomes a conquering dominant force. Psalm 137 gives a picture of broken fellowship. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept. One remembered Zion. 
Those who carried us away captive required of us a song. They required of us mirth. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? Psalm 137 from verse 1 to 3. That's a picture of broken fellowship. Israel in broken fellowship. Amen. So if you sin as a Christian, do you stop being God's child? No, you don't. You're still his child, but you're out of fellowship with him. You're not in fellowship. So what do you do? You get back in fellowship. How do you get back in fellowship? Oh God, what I did wasn't right. I ask your forgiveness in the name of Jesus. Now, are you confessing it so that God will know it happened? No, you're not. No, you're not. God already knew it happened. You are appropriating forgiveness. Now, what is the basis of that forgiveness? Is what Jesus did 2,000 years ago through his death, burial, and resurrection. Amen. For more information and inquiries, please visit our website www.remanigeria.com or you can reach us on 08100163948 or 08076576163.